Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 122 of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse, and I have to say, uh, well obviously it's terribly rude of me, I should say, welcome everybody to the to the podcast, because that's, that's what you're supposed to do, Stephen, when the, when a podcast starts, to say hello, so hello, first of all, uh, my name's Stephen, uh, for those that haven't listened before, and uh, I host the Geek Apocalypse podcast, which is uh, from Newcastle, based in Newcastle, England, I'm the resident geek, I guess, in a stereotypical sense, um, but as I was about to say, um, funny story, but a little bit longer introduction than normal, is because I did this introduction slightly wrong, and I've already recorded this, this introduction for this episode, and then and I got the number of the episode wrong, so as a perfectionist, I want to correct that mistake. Um, so I'm currently filming this in the smallest storage cupboard in the world, um, which for someone who's claustrophobic is not a good idea. Uh, so, so yeah, and also I'm recording this at roughly about 3 in the morning uh, GMT time, so I'm probably talking to you while I'm in your dreams right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I've always wanted to say that, like, uh, as if I'm, like, in some sort of terrible B movie, you know, with the stereotypical lines of, like, I wouldn't go down that way if I was you, or what's that noise? As in every noise in a horror, mil- horror film usually means, like, chainsaw, aka death or destruction and you're not going to survive but yeah so if if if, if you <laughs> if that freaks you out me saying that i apologize uh, i have been told uh, by by certain people that um uh, people struggle to sleep after listening to me which uh <laughs> i'm totally joking but anyway um huge thank you for obviously checking out the the episode and listening and and obviously we'll be in 122 i should say that obviously we've done a lot of episodes so please i do encourage you to listen to some more and then if you like it if you like this episode in particular please do subscribe to us on itunes because that really does help you get more episodes once a week uh podcast and we've done uh, obviously a whole bunch of them we we get you know celebrities on which is obviously the the the, the main obviously would be a nice uh bonus but we had non-famous people on and, and people who are friends of mine and local people from the northeast of england uh, the criteria basically used to be interested or interesting but if you want to uh, which I think is relevant because we, we just basically have conversations like they're real human beings. Uh, and this is no different with Claudia Christian. But um, obviously there's name some people, obviously Nolan North who you had earlier on. Uh, obviously the guys from Red Dwarf have been on. Uh, RJ Mitty from Breaking Bad. Edward James Olmos from Battlestar Galactica. We've had a whole bunch of really cool people on on the podcast. Uh, board game companies and stuff. We've got a lot of friends who come on. So so yeah, if that sounds cool, uh, that's basically the criteria. So hopefully you'll listen to a whole bunch of them. Because basically if they're interesting or interested, we have them on and we natter and talk about whatever comes up. There's no agenda. Um, it, just whatever comes up and, and hopefully were entertaining in the process and i love doing it which is why i have done that many um but yeah so in terms of this episode with claudia christian i should say in terms of context she's been on before she was on the fcd version which uh is uh, a few months ago now um which was a convention in the uk in telford uh, so we did a 10 minute interview with her when we were there and um, we talked about like playboy because she did that in the 90s and obviously Battlestar and uh, uh, Battlestar and uh, babylon 5 as well um and the whole little bit of other things but we don't mention playboy in this particular one but obviously we talk about babylon 5 for fans of that who are listening um in more in a little bit of detail and but sort of how she got on with the cast and um, how she got it in terms of the audition and in terms of our career in general because we you know having an hour who had an hour with her so you know getting to talk a, a lot more about like her guest appearances on like castle especially in huge nathan fillion fan obviously um and to also uh quantum leap because my dad's a huge fan of that so working with scott Bakler in the 90s was a big huge show in that particular time uh how babylon 5 was was you know really popular in the uk and obviously she actually moved here in the uk and, and uh, when she turned 40 which is interesting so we asked her about that and she became a writer and that's one of the things we haven't actually got a chance to talk about which i feel bad about because she said if could we please talk about her books and then we never bring it up until the end so i'll say now that she has a book called wolf empire which uh, is out in the UK, uh, in the uh, America at the minute, but it hopefully is going to be out in uh, the UK soon. She says so. Uh, please do 
and Wolf Empowered to Amazon, you'll find it, which I, I did relatively easily, and I can have a read about what that's about because we never had a chance to talk about it. So that's one thing. And also in this episode, as well as all the guest appearances and our career and stuff like Arena, which I watched on Netflix, which I recommend if you just got a free couple of hours. It's a silly, eight, like late eighties film which Claudia was in, which she actually remade with a guy from Hercules uh, a few years ago. Um, but it's sort of a rip off of like sort of Hunger Games. Uh, guess we'll battle royale, which Hunger Games nicked off, but that's a whole different thing. Um, yeah, we we talk about a whole bunch of stuff as well as like a little bit about politics, about how she became an actress and like how her parents. Uh, I remember we, we talked about that and, and obviously our voice acting uh, in terms of her being in Guild Wars and various other things. Uh, we did try to talk a little bit about Call of Duty, but obviously she's uh, bound by you know politics within and the fact that within the gaming industry, considering it's not out yet, so she's not allowed to talk about it really. But um, we, but we, she talks about the other stuff and then sort of the process of doing voice acting. And as I said, our foundation which I was dead interested in talking to her about because it's basically uh, promoting the Sinclair method to deal with alcoholism, which she's had issues with in the past. Um, so if you want more information about that, obviously listen to the podcast first, but um, go to c3foundation.org or c3 uh, foundation, I think it's c3, c3 europe, uh, c3 foundation europe, I think, um, dot com. Um, and uh, you can find more information that way for the non-Europeans like our good selves. First Brexit joke of the introduction. Um, she's also, Claudia lives on Twitter, so and uh, you can talk to her on Facebook. She regular responds to people on that, so uh, please do that. Um, and yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. So yeah, she's hugely fun. Um, I really enjoyed seeing her, and uh, she's one of the nice, nicest, like sort of famous people. I get, I guess, uh, you actually did use the asterisks there as I was saying that. So, I uh, hope you enjoy it. Ricky was involved in this because he's a huge fan, so co-host, uh, um, who does the hosted episodes now, which you do once a month. So, hope you guys like. Um, please do consider subscribing, like I say, and uh, if you want to fancy donating or whatever, we have a shop as well online. So have a gander at our website, but that covers it. Huge thank you to Claudia for being on. Uh, check out our stuff and uh, enjoy the episode, guys. Thanks a lot. Much love. Yeah. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, it's nice to be here. Awesome. Um, well, I guess the obvious place to start, and I obviously, you know, without saying, I mentioned this when I saw you at FCD that I like a big fan of yours, and I like a lot of the stuff you've been in. So we're going to obviously talk about that. Um, but I guess the most obvious place to start is FCD. Obviously, when I met you, which was a few months ago, I think my time flies, so I can't quite remember. But um. Uh, how was FCD for you in general? It was great. You know, my friend David throws FCD, um, and he's like my little brother, I call him. Actually, I do call him my little brother. And he uh, he just threw a very intimate event. I think the fans had a really, really good time because it was, it was um, well run. It was small, so it gave people the opportunity to actually hang out with each other and talk. And it was just... Um, you know, it was, it was, I thought it was a really nice event. It was great to see everybody get dressed up for the dinner and... <laughs> And um, I just thought it was, uh, I know that everybody had a really good time because I heard a lot of feedback afterwards. So, yeah, um, yeah I'll be coming back to the UK this spring again, but um, I won't be doing his event. Okay. Uh, his, his next one's, I think, in 2017, but I'll yes. be at Birmingham uh, Comic-Con. All right, cool. That's good. The end of- yeah. That's cool. Um, so I, I, I have been, sorry, say that again? Sir? Did you not dress up then, Steve? <laughs> I didn't know. Um, I was in my Geek Apocalypse stuff, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I I did sort of. Oh, actually, no, that's not true because um, you were at the dinner, weren't you, Claudia? Afterwards, it was indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because the the theme of that, which I totally forgot, and I actually ended up just throwing in my waistcoat, which uh, Ricky knows, being a friend of mine, that I I like wearing waistcoats, and I was actually like quite relieved that I did because I forgot it was sort of spy orientated and I thought well spies could sort of wear waistcoats so it sort of worked out um, but I really enjoy I have to say and it, obviously the, the stuff in between and the conventions and all the the, the, the the sort of talks and everything else was really fun but I really enjoyed the sort of dinner slash like after dinner stuff it was really like just 
just chilled and um we'll talk about your sort of claudia con and, and and stuff like that because that's something i asked you in the in the previous interview and that interests me but on a whole i that convention kind of sums up exactly what it should be like and i think that was kind of what you were hinting on um yeah. so yeah i guess an, another sort of polite polite uh, question claudia is just to ask you how how have things been since fcd what have you been up to what that's a, that's a that's a loaded question. Let's see. We have time. I've, just, <laughs> I've finished World of Warcraft, the game. Yes. I worked on Guild Wars Two, yes. um, and uh, Call of Duty, and mm-hmm. um, I did. I recorded the audible version of Wolf's Empire, my novel that came out uh, with my writing partner Morgan Buchanan on June twenty eighth, and we launched it at San Diego Comic Con. So we went down there for one day. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, Morgan came out from Australia, and we we uh, plotted out book two because we just signed the contract for that for nice. Wolf's Empire book two. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I been doing? My goodness, um, I, I've been doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> you name it, good. I've been doing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm running my nonprofit and and um, working on another series of books with Morgan mm-hmm. um, that we're we're plotting out right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been. I, I've been doing a lot. Since yeah, seen- that sounds good. And obviously, the the beauty of us having actually some time, which is what the joke I made, is that we can actually you know delve into them things and ask you more questions about it, which is which is one of the reasons I like doing podcasts. Um, sticking to the the video game theme, because I was talking to Ricky before we started doing this about exactly that. Is one of the games you missed off that list uh, was Fallout Four. Um, which is obviously huge, and I, I uh, people know that I, I've been playing that uh, at the at the moment, and it leads me to because we had Nolan North on the show who does uh, Uncharted, you know, I guess the Jack Nicholson of voice acting, as we kind of jokingly refer to him as, and uh, I asked him the same question of. Do you find it sort of interesting, especially when you sort of like first started, did you ever like sort of think of voice acting and go in particular like with video games and stuff like that and thought it could be like an actual profession? Do you find it strange that, do you find it like sort of surprising that it's become like a legitimate job in the sense? No, I don't think it's surprising at all. I mean, we all grew up watching Disney films, so who was providing the voices? Obviously, voice actors, you know, um... And I obviously children grow up watching comics and cartoons and you know all the Warner Brothers cartoons. Somebody was voicing Bugs Bunny and all those. Things. So I was very much aware that it was a, a job. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was a little kid, I, I always listened to those voices and thought, "Wow, it's it's Mel Blanc again doing so many different voices." So I was always impressed by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always had a, a rather unique voice. So I my agents when I was. Uh, in my 20s, suggested that I parlay that into voiceover. And I did everything from, you know, being the voice of Jaguar for years to, uh, you know, doing jewelry stores and commercials. And uh, it wasn't until Disney's Atlantis that I really broke into um, mainstream. Mm -hmm. And then the games just sort of came organically from my work on Babylon 5, I believe. Because a lot of game people, game producers are fans of that show and they have high respect for the show. So I think they enjoy having um, actors and actresses from their favorite shows in their games, you know, and that makes complete sense to me. I mean, the obvious thing to ask in relation to that is how do you find the process in terms of actually doing voice acting? Because... As we talked to Nolan North about this, and and I've read other interviews of people talking about it, it can be sort of quite tedious in some aspects. Like the the thing I'm thinking of as I'm asking you that is Camilla Ludington, who played uh, Tomb Raider. Like she said, there was a couple of days where they literally got out to come in for two days of of recording and basically said, "Right, can you come up with two thousand ways to die, please?" <laughs> and just yeah. Kind of, so yeah, I guess so. Yeah, just do you want to talk about like sort of the process for you? Well, I enjoy the process because, first of all, you're only using one instrument, which is your voice, yeah. and, and you have to, you have to portray a lot of emotions with, with just your voice because obviously they don't see your face. Yeah, uh, I know the character from uh, I think Fallout Four actually. They animate them to, to sort of look like you. Yes. Um, I did motion capture recently for Call of Duty, and that that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, yeah. You know, because you're actually physically acting out the scene. Um, I would say that. That the only days that are, but I see, I don't really find any of it boring. I mean, it's a process. I, I, I 
the dialogue can be something that you don't really relate to because uh, you, you don't understand where you know where you are in the scene because they don't tell you the entire story of the game. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they show you a picture of your character and you're some dragon thing and then you make up a voice for it and then you continue to um, to do the lines. I would say the only maybe challenging or tedious stuff is that big screaming day, you know, where you go in and you just go, stop! <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that that's that, those are the kind of days that you kind of think, wow, it's vocally challenging, but it's also just one line of, you know, Alpha One! Alpha Two! And it's like, okay, that, you know, but I just try to those, uh, I, I get those over with as quickly as possible. Um, I, did, I, I think I do hold the world record for doing 600 and something lines in less than an hour. So uh, pretty fast. That's, pretty fast. I'm so thank you for doing that. That was very funny. And also, um, you reminded me of, of, as I say, the the interview with Camilla Ludington. She was on Conan O'Brien's show, and it's on YouTube uh, for those that are interested. And she basically says that, yeah, kind of just what you said. It was literally just right. The the prompts on the in the booth was, "You're on fire now! Scream like you're on fire!" And like now you're being impaled by a spike. <laughs> just in different hundred ways of screaming. Um, it, it- it's quite embarrassing at times because I, I do the physical motions when they say, okay, take a punch to the stomach. I kind of go, ooh! This is a complete dork when I'm doing my yeah, voiceovers, yeah. but luckily support it. So. <laughs> Ricky, this is amazing. Like, It's a shame other people can't see this, but we've got Claudia Christian acting on the podcast We're right now. I know, yeah. Example, that yeah. was so good. Like, That was amazing. Hey, Claudia, could I ask hi, by the way? Um, Hi. Could I ask, um, you mentioned Call of Duty there. What, what was your participation with that one in particular? Um, I don't really know if I'm supposed to talk about it because it's not not out yet. I do play two characters. Yes. Say that. Well, I'm not a gamer as much as Steve, but Call of Duty is one that I do enjoy playing. But where do you stand on, you know, when people talk about particularly violent video games and how that influences people? Do you have a particular standpoint? or? Um, well, I didn't really... Uh, I mean, I uh, this didn't seem like... Um, it had a storyline, and it was there was a lot of sadness, yeah. sexual scenes, and mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I mean, and there's there's space fights, you know. There's there's there's, yeah. uh, but it's 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 fantasy. It's not, um, yeah. you know. I mean, I, 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 I there, there are no spaceships in real life that are like that. So and people aren't fighting up in the uh, galaxy. So for me, it's fantasy. It's not. Um, <laughs> It's not like, uh, uh, you know, real time with people shooting each other in South Central Los Angeles or any of those yeah. games, which, um, you know, uh, it, there's, there's a fine line between, you know, it, being able to be precious about stuff, mm-hmm. um, and not contributing to things and also yeah. trying to make things. So do I, do I want to play women characters that are abused or anything? No, uh, if there's no point in in sex or nudity, would I do it? Probably not, especially at my age. But but you know, um, a lot of people don't have that choice. You know, yeah. they they need to make a living, so you can't really be precious about it and say, "Well, I'm contributing to violence in games." Well, I'm not the one who created the game. I'm just an actor. You know, mm. <laughs> providing a voice for a game. So, mm. you know, do I think that it's healthy for kids to stay inside and play these games all day long? No, absolutely not. Yeah. But will I continue? to portray the voices absolutely it's my profession it's what i do for a living so i'm not turned down a game because i think some kid's going to play it for 12 hours and not be outside playing in the fresh air i'm not a parent yeah parents the parents have to have the discipline to say look you get to play this game for two hours and then you go outside and ride a bicycle that's not my job yeah, yeah. i'm just doing job. so i'm not even going to get into that whole discussion because it's, yeah. it's no no you're you right know, you're yeah, right. I mean it's it's up to the parents to to uh, to provide the child with options, and one of those options should be getting the heck outside and enjoying some fresh air. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I guess sort of just to to end that that end that thought. I always find it very strange. This is one of the reasons that um, I never really sort of bring that element of the discussion up on the on, whenever I ask people. This is just as you said the response it's i find it strange that they that that, the people look at like actors and actresses and go they're the ones that should be responsible for what they they should be doing as like parents i find that very bizarre um because 
as as uh, Ricky just said, just to, to paraphrase, I'm in, I for example Call of Duty I really like, and as you said, I I agreed with you the idea of the fantasy element, and I just find it strange when they correlate video games to violence, just the same as they do with films, because that would imply that everyone that watches then would would do the same thing. That it mu- there must be something else to it, I guess is the point I'm making. But as you said, we don't need to talk about it. But but um but fun to have gratuitous violence in any way shape or form and yeah. yes there have been copycat people who you know there was the incident of somebody throwing a firebomb into a uh, you know, somebody uh, taking money over a toll booth operator yeah. or something like that and you know I mean those things are horrible and they probably did get the idea from a film but yeah. you know where do you draw the line I mean are we supposed to live in this in this society where we don't show things exactly, or yeah. are we or are we supposed to depend on the responsibility and, and sanity of the individual watching the film that's not going to say, oh, I want to do that. I want to throw a firebomb into some toll <laughs> operator's booth. I mean, how many people are really going to think that? I mean, you know, I mean, exactly. that's the same thing that could be walking down the street and just randomly decide to hit you with a baseball bat. You yeah. know, it's, it's so it's I, I don't know. I, I don't even want to get into that discussion because. You I know, think where you draw the line is supposed to do my job. You know, no, no, of course. Make- of course, it just made. I guess it made sense to sort of ask, but yeah, no, it's totally fine. We don't need to. We don't need to delve into it. But um, uh, so in terms of like, because you mentioned, of course, Babylon Five, which I'd be in, be compelled not to to talk about because it's obviously a major a major like sort of uh, television series that's still relatively talked about, even. God knows how long are we on now? Is it like twenty five years? When was it ninety six or something? Wasn't it when it first came out? I, 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 my memory of this is vague. Was it ninety years? Sorry, twenty years. Twenty years. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I guess because you know, obviously, with the, I, I don't think I asked you this the last time you were on, but in terms of how you got Babylon Five, you know, is there a story behind that? Like, how did you audition for it in the first place? It's- Nothing terribly exciting. I went in at noon and I auditioned, and they told me to come back at three and do exactly what I just did. So I went back and I uh, had a scene with the. It was a scene with Garibaldi, and I did it exactly the way I did it before, mm-hmm. and that was that. And I um, I found out very quickly that I got the role, and I had s- said to my agent, you know, should I really? I was so young, and I thought, should I really sign a five year contract? And she said. There's no way it's going to last. It's not a Star Trek spinoff, so don't worry about it. We'll be out of this contract within a half a year, four years later, three movies later. Um, no, it was a, it was a wonderful experience, and it's. Uh, I always say this, you know, if it wasn't for Babylon Five and that propelling me to the status of almost a sci-fi icon, um, I wouldn't have had the life that I've had. I wouldn't have been able to travel the world. I wouldn't have been meeting all these amazing people that I've met along the way. I wouldn't. Um, I certainly wouldn't have been invited to be in all these games and, and the Disney film Atlantis. They were Babylon 5 fans. I mean, yeah. so so Babylon 5 opened up a wonderful world for me. And at the time, science fiction was sort of the misguided you know, stepchild or whatever you want to call it, of television. <laughs> so nobody really had that respect that they do in the UK for sci-fi. Yeah. And the UK, completely different story. So we were quite popular and... Uh, overseas, um, but in, in America, people thought, oh, she's doing a sci-fi show, you get typecast or whatever, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I really haven't been typecast. I think I've done three John, genre jobs in my entire life. Yeah. Um, Space Rangers, Babylon 5, and, and if you want to call Highlander genre. Yeah. Um, and my first film was The Hidden, which was science fiction, sort yeah. of. So, I don't really think that Babylon 5 had any effect, uh, ad- adverse effect on my career. And by, by the time, you know, Battlestar Galactica came around, sci-fi was cool. Yeah. You know, big actors were doing, James Edward Olmos. I mean, all these guys were doing science fiction. So, you know, make a long story short, I'm, I'm <clears throat> proud to have been in it. I'm proud to have touched so many people with, you know, portrayal of, of, of Ivanova. And I'm, and I'm really, I'm very grateful every time I run into somebody who says, you know, that meant a lot to me. Babylon 5 helped me through a hard time. I mean, all these stories are just, they've enriched my life. And uh, my fans have been unbelievably loyal to me. So mm-hmm. I, I have nothing but but excellent memories from that show. Yeah, no. <clears throat> Still friends with most of the cast, so it's great. Oh, that's nice to hear. I'm just, <laughs> I love that with fans, because, like, I'm a, a, a Star Trek fan. I think I told you this the last time I saw you. And 
And uh, I always find it nice when I talk to people from particular television series. And I, as a fan, I'm, I'm being a fan here rather than a host. And then I'm, I'm, I'm always like really thrilled to hear that they all got on. <laughs> I don't know why it makes fans so happy, but it kind of does. But Mira and Andrea and Pat Tallman. Um, just the other day, we all had lunch. That's cool. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I talked to Peter Jurassic the other day. Uh, as you know, Jerry Doyle passed, so that was very hard yeah. for all of us. Um, yeah. It's refreshing to hear, isn't it? Because on so many other big shows, you hear that like behind the scenes and never got on, or always like biting. Yeah, yeah, especially from other shows. I knew a lot of people that were on other shows. It was extremely tense and not a very fun environment. But yeah. for us at uh, Five, um, we had a blast filming yeah. and extremely uh, fond of each other. Um, something you mentioned as well, I was going to ask Ricky this because uh, I didn't know him growing up. Is that do you remember? Because I certainly do. The, as you, as uh, Claudia mentioned, like Babylon Five was huge over here. Like um, it was on Channel Four, if I remember, and it was just—I I remember it in my childhood. I was born in '87, so um, yeah, I remember it being on TV because my dad was a huge uh, fan of science fiction. Actually, Ricky, before we started, told me we were in an episode of Quantum Leap. I'm sure yes, I was. Yeah. I I I don't remember you being on, but do you remember the episode? Because I I mean I, I'm kind of asking this on my dad's behalf because he's a huge Quantum Leap fan. <laughs> Play it again. Uh, I said um, I'm asking my I said could you I tell me about the episode because Play it again, Sam. <laughs> Sorry. I, it it was called Play It Again, Sam. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. can you? So what was that experience like being on that show? I got asking for my dad's sake, I guess. <laughs> Uh, it was great. Um, Scott Bakula was lovely, and uh, we did sort of an homage to Casablanca. So, um, oh, right, you know, yeah. We had all that dialogue from the 30s and 40s, yeah. you know. Again, Sam. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, like, um, another thing that um, if you go through, like, your chronological, you know, career in terms of... Because another thing that I always like asking people about is guest appearances on shows and stuff like that because you've guested in some really good shows as well, like Castle and a bunch of other stuff. Um, what is the experience like as someone who goes to an established thing and guests on an episode? Is it frightening? Is it weird? Like, what's the experience like? Um, I wouldn't say it's frightening or weird. It's just... Uh, it depends on if the main cast is friendly or not. If they're... Yeah. You know, it's kind of a pity because nowadays everybody's on their, their phone up until the director says action. So. <laughs> I hate that, yeah. Yeah, you don't really get that, that uh, bonding or camaraderie like you used mm-hmm. to in the 90s before cell phones came around. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 more like you're just there to do the job. Yeah. And you, you're, making, you're not there to make friends. Whereas in the old days, people were very, you know, they would talk to you and you would, between takes, everyone would hang out in their chairs. Now everybody just goes right back to their rooms and gets on their phone again. So it's it's not really the same as it was when I first started. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like, is that one of the reasons you think going back to, to Babylon 5 that you were so close is because I guess the technology wasn't as strong and and just... You, you, I guess, did you use, like, talk in between takes and stuff and hang out? Is that sort of part of the process? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we actually got to know each other. Yeah. We, we enjoyed each other's company. We talked. We talked about, you know, plus people got married and had children on the show. So there was, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of life being lived yeah. in the five years of Babylon 5 that was on. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm asking for the female listeners of this show, but is Nathan Fillion as good looking as he is in grand screen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. Did, did you did you hear nothing? Did you miss hear me there? I didn't hear who you were referring to. Uh, Nathan Fillion. I'm saying is he is a dishy. Is uh, I'm asking for on behalf of female fans. <laughs> dishy and he's extremely nice. He's a very very nice man. He was actually um, he he even presented me with a with a, a welcome gift when I did that show, which was oh. really sweet and very. Um, very appreciated. Yeah, he's a really down to earth, friendly man. And yes, he's very handsome. <laughs> yeah, I heard a lot of. I heard a lot of. Uh, I've heard people say that who know him, and and also um, uh, we actually talked about Castle not that long ago because um, what was really interesting was I, I'm from. Well, we're both sort of from the Newcastle area of England, and they had a Geordie on the on on the series not that long ago. <laughs> And it wasn't an actual Geordie actor. It was just someone doing a Geordie accent. And we were just laughing because it was it was quite decent. But we were kind of just going, it's a shame they didn't actually just get a Geordie to do it. You know, actually hire a, an English actor. Uh, who's, 
having lived in the UK for 10 years, um, the majority of the jobs that I went up for were taken by Brits playing Americans. So <laughs> I think I infiltrated Hollywood to the extent where I could say confidently, tough, tough luck. Okay, that you had an American playing a Geordie because, uh, trust me, every single job here seems to be taken by an Aussie or 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 English person. Yeah, doing an American accent, and I say to myself, why the hell couldn't they just hire an American? I stand, I stand, hideously corrected, Claudia. Well, well played, well played. That's that's a very good point. Very good point. Of our jobs, buddy. So you yes. know, and, and believe me, having having lived there and been an actress there, I had very little opportunity to work as an actress in in the UK. Yes. Very little. Oh. So uh, I would say, um, bugger off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're quite. You know what? You make a very valid point. As I said, I stand. I, I admit when I'm wrong, and you t- that's a very good point because. As you said that, I could name about like four or five names then in my head where I'm like, she's got a good point. Like I was watching Die Hard a couple of days ago with Alan Rickman, uh, and, uh, who uh, like uh, just the, the common thread of English actors playing villains in American films. Every Jason Bourne movie now, most of them are European or British. You know, it's like man. well, I apologize on behalf of. Oh, well, we're not European anymore, so I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> Apologize on behalf of the world of actors. Yes, <laughs> indeed, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. But um, uh, yeah, because uh, uh, Ricky, because I thought one of the things we should talk about is space cadets, because I know he was the reason I asked you that, Claudia, last time I spoke. And I guess just sort of the fan base was quite big. Like I just touched on with Babylon Five being Channel Four, like really advertised it, and I remember it being on TV. Like I say, growing up. So, you got any questions about that, Ricky? Because I know you asked me about it. I mean, you, was it one or two episodes that you were on there? Because you were, it was like, um, you were the, half the cast of Red Dwarf, wasn't it, Steve? Like with Robert Llewellyn, Craig Charles, he was one of the team captains, wasn't he? Yes, him and Bill uh, Bailey. And Greg Cruz, too. What are your memories of that, of that of those uh, episodes? I don't really remember much of it. I no? It, it, I just, I mean, it was so long ago. <laughs> but, I, I mean, mean such a niche show. The reason why I'd say is my memory because um, your your sense of humor really kind of came out of that, and that's how it became. Yeah, I did the Shatner imitation, or something. that's we yes. just talked about that, didn't we? Before before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was. I mean, it was. A, it, it, I don't get many opportunities to show that I actually am a comedian. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's nice when somebody actually uh, allows me to show that side of myself. Yeah, and I do remember. It was it was just a lot of fun. It was very high energy, and, and we all were just sort of taking the piss. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. Everybody was very nice. I've, I've run into Craig Charles a number of... Craig Daniels? Craig Charles? Craig Charles, Craig, yeah. Charles, a number of times. Um, and then Danny was actually in uh, Star Height, the series that I did in the UK. All right, yeah. Uh, so, um, so I've run into these... You know, it's kind of a... When you do conventions and you travel the world, you run into a lot of the same people. J- Jeremy Bullock, for instance, I've run into him about a million times, plus worked with him on Star Hike. Yeah. Lovely man. Mm-hmm. Um, so you end up kind of uh, knowing this, this, you know, the same core of people for the past 20 years. That, that uh, But yeah, that, that was a fun show to do. I just don't the remember... The first time you met Shatner was it on when you appeared on TJ Hooker back in the 80s. Yes, yes, and I've... I've uh, <laughs> commented on that enough times. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. But uh, it's a ridiculous show. But I think that's all I'll say. <laughs> but anyway, it was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so I mean, because as I say, I know we're jumping around in terms of stuff that you've done, and obviously we'll talk about the books and and the documentary, which is interesting. And as you said, your foundation, which I'm dead interested in, because um, me and Ricky, we should say, does it do a show, a radio show in Newcastle about mental health, um, which obviously alcoholism is part of it. So um, we're interested in that sense. But um, I just want to mention this before, in case I forget. Uh, again, I know this is talking about a random thing you're involved in, but um, I watched this fairly recently because they remade it, and I'm interested to know if you've seen the remake and the one you, and obviously you, you were in the first one. I was looking around Netflix to try and watch a show, and I came across Arena. Do you oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, do you remember that at all? Yeah, of course. I, I shot that in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, it was one of the... It was back in the 80s. I mean, we didn't have CGI and things like that, so we had, we had a couple of guys in a giant monster suit, you know. Um, 
terms of legs and stuff. And uh, that was sophisticated back in those days. And <laughs> I was happy to be in Italy and, and uh, you know, I uh, wasn't too happy about wearing a gold lamate jumpsuit and those hairstyles. But other than that, I had a blast. I learned some Italian, had some great food, met some interesting people, you know, spent yeah. a couple of months. It was great. Yeah, and um, I, there's a, I have a weird history with that film in the sense of, do you, like, I like I used to obviously grow up in the period of VHS tapes, and so I, I've said this before that there was a trailer on the beginning of one of the films I was watching, which was Arena, and I remember you being in it, and then I I just happened to come across it and actually got the chance to watch it years later, and um, yeah, I was like, I actually think you know because you said about Edward James almost being um, being in sci-fi, and he was obviously in Blade Runner in the eighties, which I still absolutely adore um and and yeah it, it it still holds up to a little bit arena i mean it's not like terrible but it's it's uh i enjoyed it it certainly did did you have you heard of the, that they did the re, a remake of it no i didn't know they were doing a remake of it at no all. they already um, have they already have it came out like god like four or five years ago or something and the guy who was in it i don't remember his name off the top of my head but he went on to do hercules the not the dwayne johnson one the other one um no, yeah but heard. he but yeah, I, I watched it. It was it was very uh, hormone like <laughs> a testosterone filled uh, version. It was very like ma- it was a very male male orientated <laughs> version. <laughs> but it was it did what it meant to do. But there you go. Um, but yeah, so I mean, one of the things I was like asking like yourself if you've been in I guess sort of Hollywood and 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 and, and television shows and whatnot is. Like, do you ever have, like, uh, through your career, because obviously you've been, you know, doing this for quite a while, is that, do you have, like, a a set idea of where you want to, where you took things, or or was it a classic case of, like, I'm a, I want to be a working actor and I'll just pick what comes up, or did you have an, a trajectory, I guess is what I'm asking? Um, no, I just, uh, I left home very young, um, mm-hmm just to move to Los Angeles to pursue a career. And I just figured I would do film and television. Yeah. And uh, I had done theater as a kid, and I really wasn't that interested in pursuing more theater. Um, so for me, it was just the idea of being in TV and film and seeing where it would go from there. I, I'm i one of the probably lucky people that absolutely knew in my heart what I wanted to do from a very, very young age. And, and what I wanted to do was tell stories, whether it was as a writer or an actress, uh, and I've been able to do both that, you know, yeah. playing great characters. Um, you know, and there's times in, in your career where you just have to diversify. That's why I moved to the U.K. when I turned 40, because I just felt like I was, you know, I w- you just hit that age where you're not working as much. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I started diversifying. And that's when I started writing books and I started, uh, I made my documentary film and I opened my nonprofit three years ago because... At the end of the day, you know, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that wants to wait for the phone to ring and I just don't have the patience or the, um, I, I, you know, acting has served its purpose for me. I still enjoy doing it. I'm going to do a, a, you know, I'm working on a film tonight and I'm, um, I'm doing a, a new TV series next week, uh, a guest lead in that. And I, you know, I just, um, I, I enjoy it and it keeps up my medical insurance, but it's not the end all be all. I, mm-hmm. I really, uh, I really prefer helping people and running my nonprofit. It's just a much more gratifying experience. 30 years of being in a somewhat selfish career, which I believe acting really is. It's all about me, 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 you know. Um, That's not really how I wanted to live my life. And I think that that it's, as I said, it's provided the base, a wonderful base, because people do listen to my TED Talk because of who I am. But I'm talking about alcohol use disorder, not science fiction. You know, people do buy my book because they know who I am. But in the book, I'm talking about helping people with alcohol use disorder, not talk, you know. You know, you see, I parlayed my career into something that really genuinely helps people. And that's what I'm proud of. And that's what I want to be remembered for. But I'm not dissing my acting career at all. I think it's great. And I've had a very, very blessed life. And I've traveled, like I said, I've done shows and South America and you know all over the world, and I've yeah. seen the world because of my acting career. But yeah. but now I'm in a really a, a place where I really really want to continue to help people because it's just the best feeling in the world. When this weekend I spoke to a 16 year old girl, and I have the opportunity to help her mother get better and have this child get her mom back. You know, and that's something that you can't do. It, you know, it's in a, in a regular job, so it's just it's yeah. just very. 
thrilling. It's just would you say would you say that's more rewarding than say like a fan of Babylon Five coming up to you and saying how much you meant to to them? Well, I mean, I've had people come say, you know, you helped me come out of the closet, or I watched Babylon Five when my mother was dying in the hospital bed. Of course, that that is incredibly touching, and there's really no comparison. That the difference is, is that I played a character that touched them. The difference between that and being proactive and actually helping save somebody's life by putting them on a treatment that works for yeah. them is, is, you know, there's there's it's hard to compare the two. Yeah. I'm glad that I've touched people. I'm glad that they were able to come out of the closet uh, because I played a bisexual character. I'm glad that I touched touched them or, or influenced them in a positive manner. But with the Sinclair Method and my nonprofit foundation, the C3 Foundation, I'm actually able to change lives to yeah. to, to save their life. So that's wonderful. Yeah, because actually before we started this, uh, Ricky actually mentioned to me that he'd saw your TED Talk. What was it like, Ricky? It was inspiring. Um one, one the, the most poignant moment, I think, uh, as you self said, Claudia, was that when you, when you saw that billboard which had, which had a, like a glass of wine, and yeah. and you were able to tell yourself that it's just a billboard. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't kind of like touching your conscience anymore about you know having that craving anymore. Do you think that as well? Do you think that says a lot about the power of advertising as well? How it kind of grips oh. people. If you're if you're addicted to alcohol or food, I mean, I have I have people in my life that are um, food addicts and when they see a fat burger sign or a Krispy Kreme donut sign, they are triggered to want to eat that. And for someone who has alcohol use disorder, every single day, especially when I lived in the UK, I walk by a pub, I walk by a pub, I see people drinking, I walk by a sign for cider, for beer, for wine, for this. And all over the United States, there's liquor stores on every corner. I mean, so... You're constantly inundated with that reminder. So the nice thing about extinction, pharmacological extinction, which is what the Sinclair method does, mm-hmm. is it undoes the addiction and the, the, the cravings in the brain. So mm-hmm. what what happens is you just become normal again. And that's what, what, what my, that aha moment in my TED talk that I explained was that when I saw that billboard prior to reaching pharmacological extinction, I would always be triggered to want to have a drink. Mm-hmm. Or I would be angry that I could not have a drink. And then after doing the Sinclair method for a number of months, yeah, that billboard was just a billboard. It was just a billboard with, with a glass of wine on it. And my brain just said, there's a billboard. And it, it, that was just such a profound moment for me because I realized I was normal again. Yeah. And I think that what, what anybody who develops an addiction, whether it's bulimia or food addiction or alcohol addiction or drug addiction, what they really want is to be the person they were before the before they learned the behavior of addiction. They want yeah. to be normal again, yeah. and, and that's so hard for addicts, is because they remember a time when they could have one glass of wine while they cooked a meal, or one glass of champagne at a wedding, without overdoing it, making an idiot of themselves, making this you know becoming this this you know embarrassing person. They remember when they were normal. And so it's very hard. You know, you, you, your brain changes because the addiction creeps in, but you, you as a human being are the same human being that you were before and after the addiction. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to compute. Uh, that's why so many addicts relapse is because your brain tells you, you can have a drink, you're fine, you're normal. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and part of it, as you said, and part of it, part of it seems to be, if I take this drink, maybe this drink will fix the issue or, or get me back to where I was previously, like be back to me and it's such a defeatist like a sort of cycle that's hard to get out of as you say like um, as you speak uh, w- I'm so glad we got onto this because this fascinated both me and Ricky because um, as someone who has bi- I have bipolar disorder and I'm very open about this on this particular podcast and, and in general and um, yeah it, it's it, as you were saying that you reminded me of like you know CBT in the sense of you learn you 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 don't realize that there's certain things that you're like sort of stacking the deck of negativity and and sort of getting out of that mindset and I I, I told the story before so I'll not sort of bore people too much with it but um I always refer to the cherry coke story um this is very silly but I'll do, I'll do the very brief version is is that one of the things that I realized I was doing and sort of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy told me told me like sort of helped me dis- discover this was. Like, say I woke up and I was not in a particularly good mental health mood and I just, my, my brain was off that day. 
um, you find yourself looking at regular examples, like the advertising board was a good example, like where if you got almost hit by a car, now that would happen regardless, but yet you take that situation and you apply it to your mood. So you then reinforce the mood by going, oh, that happened because I'm a horrible person and I, you know, suck at life and all this kind of thing. And the Terry Coke thing is, I went to the supermarket, brought the wrong Coke by accident, and then it basically set me off to where I was like, I hate my life and all this kind of thing. And and cognitive behavioral therapy taught me that that's just stacking the deck and I'm responsible for that in the sense of I'm taking something that was just a genuine mistake. Because if I was, the point is, if I was in a good mood, and, I, and that happened, I would have laughed and went, oh, look at me, I'm such an idiot, I bought the wrong Coke, and yet I'm I'm applying a negative thought to it and reinforcing what I, you know, obviously I've got a problem, but I'm not helping my situation. Um, so I was like, give that as an example, but but um, but yeah, so did, because so yeah, um, one of the things that me and Ricky actually did deliberately was not read too much about the Sinclair method, because we wanted you to talk about it um, and kind of teach us to a certain degree because I'm fascinated by this kind of thing. So, can you kind of go into more detail? Or do you feel like you've covered it? No, I mean it's dead simple. Um, uh, you you take an opiate blocker before you drink. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's naltrexone, you take it an hour before you have the first drink of the day. If it's nalmefene, which you get in the UK, yeah, you take it two hours before the first drink of the day. And the more you you take it when you drink, the less your cravings are, and eventually you become disinterested in drinking. So the majority of people go back to safe drinking levels, but a, a good percentage of people go completely sober on right. the Sinclair method. So whatever your goal is, let's say you you, you want to you're drinking too much and you're gaining too much weight from the wine that you're drinking, mm-hmm. but you're not an addict. You can still use the Sinclair method to reduce your drinking levels. Let's say you're a binge drinker. You yeah. only drink once a month and when you do you make a fool of yourself. You drink like crazy and you black out and you sleep with strangers and all that jazz. You can use it if you're a binge drinker. Um, you can you can also use it as preventative. Let's say you've got a child who's got two alcohol addicted parents um and they're they're starting to drink yeah. you know in their teens and and they're starting to abuse alcohol and mm-hmm. have uh, bad incidents you can also give it to them to prevent them from developing alcohol use disorder so yeah. um we that's another thing we don't really use the word alcoholism anymore because it's such a there's it's such a broad that's such a narrow term and alcohol use disorder is a much more broad term and it covers everybody from the beginner drinker to the chronic daily drinker yeah um and so uh, what you get there, Nalmafine, actually the NHS has it. Um, we're having some issues because they only give it to people for a certain amount of time, and, and the bottom line is the Sinclair method is a lifetime commitment. If you continue to drink, you must take the medication before you drink, period. Yeah. You, you cannot without it for the rest of your life. This is a lifetime commitment. So it's much like a diabetic. They uh, can't yeah, suddenly yeah. go off their insulin and go, well, I'm cured. You know, that's... <laughs> No, you're in remission as long as you take your medication. You're so so. You know that I, I that that the biggest the biggest issue we have is compliance because people get too comfortable and they feel figure well I'm done I'm cured. If you drink, you have to take the medication. But we at C3 Foundation and C3 Europe provide free counseling for people. We, everything we do is, is is free of charge, so you can get all the information you need to do the Sinclair method, including um, you know finding a physician and and uh, supplying them with educational materials. Our website is, is really great. It's the C3 Foundation website. Great. And uh, it has so much information. We even have a forum called Options Saves Lives that, uh, Options Save Lives that, that um, you know, TSMers, as I call them, can go on there and talk to other people on, on TSM and um, relate their stories, and you can do it anonymously. We have a, just a ton of information on there. Plus, I made my documentary, One Little Pill, which is... Um, Another great way to learn about uh, the Sinclair method and shows real people on the Sinclair method, in- including myself. Yeah. Um, that's a great educational tool. And, of course, Dr. Roy Escapa's book, The Cure for Alcoholism, which is what I found back in 2009 and which literally saved my life. Mm-hmm. So all of these wonderful tools are out there. There's lots of Facebook sites. Um, Your Recovery Your Way is a great site. Uh, you know, I've got my Sinclair method uh Facebook site. I mean, there, any anybody who needs help can find it now, which I'm so proud of. I'm Great. so glad that we're able to do this. That I did the TED talk, and that people are finding this method, and it has you know a nearly 80 percent success rate. So we're really you know we're really helping people in need, and I'm 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 really happy about that. That the more we talk about it, 
the more people come out of the woodwork and they contact us and we get to help them. So it's it's wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, one of the things, I mean, uh, just, just to, while we're on the documentary, because I was, we were going to ask you about that, is where is it available? Um, can you just get it as a DVD or is it, can you, is it streamed somewhere? Yes, it's on, uh, it's on Vimeo and VHX. If you just go to onelittlepillmovie.com or onelittlepillfilm.com, both of them will get you to our home site. You can rent it for a couple of dollars or you can buy it. Um, okay. e- either as an actual DVD or, or you can buy it so that you can watch it a million times for, I think, $9. Um, but if you want a physical DVD, we do have those on that site as well. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can actually watch it for free right now. It's on Amazon. It's also on uh, Hulu, I think. And, oh. um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's lots of places. If you just Google One Little Pill, yeah. Body of Christian, you'll find it. Yeah. Um, same I, thing with Foundation. I'm very And interested. we have in Scotland that's providing uh, free counseling for people with alcohol use disorder as well, and that's C3 Europe. That's so cool. anybody anywhere in the world can find, can find us and find help. Great. I'm really going to watch that. I re- I'm very interested in it. I'm, I'm always fascinated. Always fascinated to know about something. Like as I said, I, I you know, uh, I think my job, if there is a, such a thing as a job, because I obviously do this because I, I love doing it, is um, I think my like my role is uh, just I, I love when someone comes up with something like this because I'm like I'm generally fascinated. So I'm like mm-hmm. I, I love when people someone brings something up like this because I'm quite a science nerd I guess behind the scenes I'm always got my head in a book so I'd always like and just psychology stuff really fascinates me so I'm really going to watch that I look forward to watching it um, cool so um, so yeah in terms of uh, is there anything we haven't brought up Ricky because I want to get on to the book stuff is there anything you want to ask um, well I made a note of something do you remember Claudia about 10 years ago you, you were in a, a show called Broken News Yes. Do you remember that? Did, yeah, it was. I, I quite enjoy that because I'm in. I'm. I'm quite into politics, and I quite like satire. But did that ever get aired in the US? Do you know? Uh, I don't think in the US. I know it showed on uh, BBC in the UK. Um, I thought it was a, a, an incredibly funny take on on news, and I I loved playing the American anchor. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and really great actors in that show. So that that was the. It's a pity it wasn't picked up for a second season. Yeah, yeah, I wish it had. I enjoyed that. So going on from there, on Sata, I mean, we're we're in sort of the presidential election year. How do you see that going? Um, do you have an interest or do you... I, I'm avoiding talking about politics because it's just, it's, it's so uh, embarrassing being an American right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says everything, Claudia. You yeah. don't need to go on. I, I think I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel... Same way as when when our wonderful President Clinton was impeached because of a blowjob. I mean, it's just embarrassing. At the same time, Mitterrand had a love child and a mistress. I mean, who the hell cares? Yeah. And he, you know, I mean, it's just it, 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 the whole thing is so embarrassing and so uh, puerile, and, and and it's just it's just full of hate mongering and and bashing. And you know, all, all I hope for is that is that we we get some strong leadership and that. Uh, and that we can go back to being respected in the world because right now we're not and it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it at that. That's <laughs> totally fine. Uh, but yeah, I think you've said all you need. I think you summed it up perfectly brilliantly, to be honest. But uh, uh, one of the things that I really, as I touched on, I think we kind of do a sort of mini pre-chat pre before we actually record. And one of the things that people who listen to this regularly know when I have guests on is I love talking about sort of I guess, dare I say, sort of like before they became famous or I guess before they started actually doing their profession. And you touched on it, but I guess I wanted to kind of go into more detail, Claudia, is that you said you always wanted to do this. And in terms of in terms of like stuff you were interested in growing up, like what really influenced and inspired you to be like a, a teller of stories, like an actress, what, what did you like growing up, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, well, I grew up with three older brothers, and I was the baby and the only girl. And um, uh, they were very, very active and loud. And uh, <laughs> so I spent a lot of time hiding under the piano or or writing stories in my bedroom. I mean, that's what I, I loved to write when I was a kid. And when I did my first play when I was about six years old, it was the only time that I actually had everybody's attention because mm-hmm. I was center stage playing Chief Massasoit with a big in Native American headdress on, and, and uh, I remember saying my first line in this Thanksgiving, uh, you know, play, and all the adults were looking at me, and I went, "Wow, 
everyone's listening to me. This is amazing. Um, and it, and it, and I noticed, you know, there was some sad parts in the play, and I noticed some adults getting a little teary, and I thought, wow, we're moving them. You know, us little kids on stage are telling this story, and we're actually moving adults. They, I can see the tears in their eyes, and it was <laughs> the first time that I realized you can you can move somebody into a range of emotions simply by by acting, and whether it's making them laugh or forget their problems or go to the films, you know, the films even, especially during the war and so forth, I mean, the films were people's escape, it's escapism, and yes. and to be able to provide somebody with that was was really an amazing thing to me, I thought, wow, I can I can give them a respite from their daily troubles, that, that was in my mind as a child, oh. I could actually provide somebody with some, some entertainment to yeah. get their mind off the everyday minutiae, you know, of life, mm-hmm. um, and that was about it. But when I, you know, I was really determined. I left home before my 16th birthday, practically, and uh, moved to Los Angeles. And prior to that, I, I saved up enough money on my own by working in a coffee shop and working um, in a beach store selling Hobie cats and bathing suits. And I was a young, young model. I started modeling at like 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. I saved every single penny I made so that I could get my own apartment and uh, move out. Mm-hmm. Early, so I did, and my first TV series um, I got right before my 18th birthday. Great. So, uh, I yeah. think I, one of the things I I didn't actually read in terms of researching you was where you where were you born? Like, where did you grow up in? I was born in Glendale, California, but we moved when I was very young to uh, Westport, Connecticut. So I was I spent my formative years in a beautiful community, Westport and Western Connecticut, with lots mm-hmm. of nature and trees and. Uh, then when I was 14, we moved to Southern California. I went to high school in Laguna Beach, and that's only an hour away from Los Angeles. So I was convinced that my dad was transferred to Southern California so that I could be on TV. That was my that was my complete belief model at that time of my life. And sure uh-huh. enough, it did help enormously. And mm-hmm. Instead of going to New York and and you know struggling to do theater, I went straight to Hollywood. So it was uh, it was wow. very convenient. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I guess to 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 kind of like to ask you the other side of the the, the the coin is obviously when everyone kind of makes this sort of decision because as someone who you know runs a business and I guess kind of does things in an unconventional sense, uh, especially like you know in a working class area, it's just like not really not really did the norm in the sense. It's like what were your what was your like uh, how was your parents' reaction to that? Were they supportive? Um. My mother was. My father was very disappointed because he wanted me to go to medical school. I come from a family of doctors and, and researchers and scientists, um, <laughs> which is another reason why the Sinclair method appealed to me. It made sense. Science, yeah. science, science is, as I always say, science is my higher power. Yeah. Um, uh, so my brother became a genetic engineer, PhD in physics. My other brother became a veterinarian, um, yeah. and and I just I was sort of the black sheep of the family. I was the creative one. You know, I, I never went to college. I, I don't have a higher education. I tell everybody, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm well-versed in many things because I, I'm an avid reader and I, I'm self-educated. So when I was interested in something, whether it was an, an instrument or a language or art or history, I would study that, and uh, you know, to the point of saturation. And everything I know is stuff that I love. I love yeah. to cook. I love to read. You know, uh, so all of my hobbies have been my passions. Um, no, I mean, uh, my you know, my mom said follow your heart, and she was very supportive. But my my dad now is very proud of me, obviously, with with my nonprofit work and 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 with my acting. I mean, I've survived in one of the most difficult industries in the world for over thirty years. So exactly, yeah. I feel good about it, but um, at the time it was frightening. Can you imagine a 16-year-old girl saying, I'm going to go to Hollywood and be an actress, and I'm going to go live in an apartment with some stranger? You know, I mean, they were scared. Of course they were scared. You know, and thank God uh, I got a series right off the bat. I'm so grateful because then they went, oh, she's making money. She can pay her bills. She's fine. You know, and it, and 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 I every day I feel, wow, I was really, really blessed to be able to follow my dream and actually make it work. Mm-hmm. No, totally. For, That's, sorry, go on. No, for so long. I uh-huh. mean, for, for been doing this for so long since yeah. 1980. <laughs> 30 years this year. So. Wow. Well, I mean, obviously, congrats. I mean, I, I, you don't need me to say that, but yeah, it is. It is. You, you make a very valid point because that was actually something I was going to ask you because you said about sort of diverse, diversifying, and I remember you saying when you reached 40, you were thinking you moved to UK and you were like, right, I need to 
figure out what I'm going to do and, and I guess sort of, you know, and you said acting's kind of become like a thing you enjoy, but it's not like the be all and end all. Do you think, I mean, obviously I'm not asking you to speak for other people, but I guess from a generalistic point, do you think because there's so many people who want to be actors and it's such a huge field, like you say, and the chances are like, you know, I guess like if you watch like inside the actor's studio, they always make the point of like 99% of people in the audience are never going to get, you know, regular work and there might be one person. That's why when Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper became a star, they got him to come back and go, look, the, it works. Like, look at it, you're a star. And I'm like, that's the exception. So I guess the point I'm leading, to, the question I'm leading to ask you is, do you think that's kind of something actors should, actors in general even if they want it to be like that main career, focus on doing other things as well because and and sort of be guess look at it in a practical sense. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean there's two sides to that coin. First of all, would I encourage a fifteen year old to go to college to get a degree when they really wanted to be an actor? You know, your best money making years are in your late late teens and early twenties. So, you know, it and, and if you have to go to college to learn how to act, then you're not a you're not an actor. Um you know, it's a, it's a natural talent that, that you have or, or you don't have. Yeah. Would I encourage, if I had a child, would I encourage them to be in this industry? Absolutely not. It's, 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 you've got to be so tough. I mean, every single day people are telling you, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too tall, you're too yeah. skinny, you're too, you know, you're, you're, you're too old, you're too brunette, you're too, you know, you, you get rejected over the stupidest thing. Mm-hmm. You, you look like my ex-wife. I'm not going to give you the role. Um, you know, I don't like your name. Uh, you know, I mean, I was told when I first started out that I wouldn't work because my last name is Christian, and it's a Jewish industry. And I was like, really? <laughs> Do you know what it is? I, I know you. I know you. I mean, that, I imagine that's completely you know true. But I'm serious. Yeah. I had an agent who wouldn't sign me because my last name is Christian, and I I, I, I was appalled. I, I thought, well, this is the silliest thing in the world, but. Through the years, I've been rejected far more than I've been embraced. I yes. mean, I've been rejected by all sorts of people on every level. And you just – so that getting back to the diversifying question, yeah, absolutely. I, I, do I think that you should focus all of your energy on becoming um, an actor or actress? Uh, you know, I would definitely have a backup plan because it's not easy. And nowadays, everybody just wants to be famous. They don't actually want to act. They just want to be a Kardashian or something ridiculous like that. So, <laughs> it, 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 you know, and they're looking at the fame and they're thinking they're going to get rich. And, and I see all these kids coming out to Los Angeles during pilot season with their parents depending on them. He had nine-year-olds with the weight of the world on their shoulders, I you know, know yeah. finding get a series and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Now, I would say that if you're going to go into a, a lifelong profession like entertainment, then you have to be realistic about it. And nowadays, it's a much different game than it was when I started back in the in the early '80s. Um, there were there were not that many of us competing for the same role. Now I go up against men, people of color. I yeah. go up against. Uh, Siri, I never used to go up against men for the same role. Nowadays, I do. Mm-hmm. And I used to go, up, uh, you know, uh, against an African American woman. Now yeah. I do. Uh, you know, so it's 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 ridiculous. Now my chances of getting the job it used to be me and six six other white chicks, a redhead, a blonde, a brunette, you know, and that was it. Now yeah. I walk in and it's this Aboriginal melting pot plus men. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my chances have gone from you know one in six to like one in you know five hundred. Yeah. Anyway, which I guess shows now. progression, but as you say. It shows progression, yeah. but as you say, it it it, uh, deple- it re- depletes your chance, at your your odds of getting it. Yeah, so exactly. that makes sense. Exactly. And um, we are coming on the hour mark, so I'm going to have to skadoodle. That's, that's no problem. Um, I, I get obviously you got to. Well, I want to mention your book before you go very quickly, but um, but yeah, just I guess on the back of that, we talked about your documentary uh, that, that that's on you know Amazon Prime and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, what's your sort of take really quickly on you know the way your sort of profession's heading in terms of it, the online content and Netflix and stuff? Do you think in general that's good? Um, I mean, there's more opportunities, uh, but then again, it's it's also depleting um, our, you know, our wages and things like that. Uh, for, for instance, for games, we don't even get residuals, and they make billions, not yeah. millions, billions. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's something that, that you know they're they're bringing under consideration right now, and as far as having lots of options for lots of, I mean, in, on one hand, you can say it provides more content, so more jobs. 
you know, um, I, I just think there's no way of stopping it. Is this called progression? You know, it's a progress. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, so the Netflix and the Amazon Prime uh, original content and all that stuff will continue, and it's it's also raised the game as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you compare television nowadays to com- 30 years ago, there's no comparison. Yeah. Uh, one episode of Game of Thrones or Marco Polo or any of these amazing series is like a feature film. Yeah. So it's you know I mean it, it, the stuff that they're doing is just remarkable. Yeah, I, I think we make that they they make a I make this passing reference of like sort of independent films that were made for like half the budget of mainstream films are like getting less made because all the money's sort of in television. Like it's it's just that that's literally where where the, where the money is because like none of the mainstream actors would have been on you know television series and yet you, you they've tied them down for a, a whole number of years i just wanted to go back very quickly because um we've had some people from star trek on like was it is it legit is it legitimately true because I, I got people asking me to ask this because you touched on it when, when you signed the contract for babylon 5 is it literally a tied down thing because i keep hearing miss i keep hearing odd versions that it is sort of true and it sort of isn't like we had robert llewellyn on um, who's in Red Dwarf, and when they did Red Dwarf USA, he said it turns out you don't sign this contract, so what is, is it different for each one? I'm a little confused. Like, what was your experience? Did they, did, did you have to do seven years or whatever it is? No, when you sign a five-year contract, you have to do the five years, unless you leave the show, and then you burn a lot of bridges. <laughs> you lose a lot of money, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, so well, that's literally I mean, what it was, was it five years did you sign? Yeah, I signed a five-year contract, but uh, once the series was over, I was not indebted to do it after that because we had wrapped. So yeah. the fifth season, I, I wasn't held accountable for that because we had, they had told us that the series was canceled. Yes. Um, so uh, so that, but yeah, I mean, I suppose you you could try to renegotiate and they could fire you. Um, <laughs> the aliens only signed a two-year contract, so they had a different uh, a different deal with humans. <laughs> And Mike and Mike. <laughs> These uh, aliens, uh, I think they've got yeah. better agents. I think that's what's going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to have to run, guys. That's I'm no sorry. worries. Um, so I just, I, I feel oblig- I feel like I really should mention because I know you wanted to talk about it. So do you want to just say your books quickly before you go? Like, so uh, what? Well, it's Wolf's Empire and yes. it's uh, Romans in Space. And Tor McMillan released it. So most people know who Tor is. It should be out in the UK pretty soon. I know that they've been random copies spotted in uh, Forbidden Planet and places like that. Great. Um, but Wolf's Empire Gladiator, it's the first of three books. Great. And it's in, um, myself and my partner, Morgan Buchanan. And uh, it came out June 28th here. But like I said, it should be in the UK any day now. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And cool. I've written them down. Look forward to it. Uh, All right. Cool. Thank you, Rick. Thanks so much for coming on, Claudia. It's been a real pleasure. Um, uh, are you, you're on the tweets, aren't you? Do you want to see your Twitter handle or do you not care? <laughs> oh, Claudia Lives is, yeah. uh, uh, Claudia Lives. And then, of course, my Facebook fan page is where I communicate directly with fans. Um, and if you can send me the link to this show, I'll tweet it out when I get it. Awesome. Um, I'm actually thinking about releasing it. If not today, it'll be tomorrow. So I'll obviously, yeah, I'll drop you the, the audio and then I'll, uh, you can do what you want with it. Um, Lovely. awesome. But th- thank you so much, Claudia, for being on. And as I said, I'm, I, I'm not just saying this because you've been a guest, although I might be, is, uh, is, uh, is just in general, like in at FCD, like I was, I really enjoy, I know it was very brief because we were pressed for time, but, um, I, I was really like, uh, not surprised, but I was. It was really nice to, to sort of to, to realize that someone like you, as someone I watched growing up, actually is really nice. And and when I read about the Claudia Con, I was like, it's great. I know we never got a chance to talk about this in more detail on this one, but it's just really nice that you understood. Because I agree with the conventions as someone that goes there for for business. Like I agree that you know it's nice to have someone like you to come on a podcast like this or or to go to a fan because you were very nice to fans i watched you the whole time not not that it sounds terrible yeah i was stalking you claudia the oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I appreciate that no, yeah yeah I, but I I, you know what i'm saying I have yeah a lot of respect for for the fans and yeah. how loyal they are so anything i can do to give back yeah, all right no. kids have a good night no Thank no worries you. thanks claudia thank you very much uh, thanks yeah claudia take care bye that's that's it for every that's it everybody uh i'll end the podcast like i always end in the words of the great beam if you wrote just crash and burn i will see you very soon for another edition of the geek podcast thanks very much guys bye